0: Hey guys, welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus and it is an honor to be here with you guys today. I am out of town. I'm in Barcelona, Spain with my dad, but we decided uh, with what's going on in the world, uh, specifically Evaldi, Texas, that we wanted to get together and have this conversation and make sure this happened for you guys. Uh, we think this is important. We think this is dear to our hearts. In this episode, uh, there's some heavy content. So if you're listening to this with you know, in the car or around kids, maybe, maybe you want to put some headphones on and just be careful. Uh, I talk pretty deeply about some personal bullying stories in high school, and we talk a lot about what's going on in Valdi, Texas with the 21 deaths um, and murders uh, in the mass school shooting. And we want to make sure that you guys know what you're getting into with this episode. So please, if you struggle with anything with mental health, if you ever are going through a hard time, we want to make sure that uh, this doesn't uh, bring anything bad out for you. And we want you to make sure that you're protecting yourself as you get into this episode. You're listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here in Barcelona with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to be here with you, dad. Uh, it's good to be together, and for everyone
1: who joins us today, uh, there might be a few little glitches along the way, but it's a part of our commitment to come to you, even when we're across the, uh, the ocean.
0: Yeah, and it, I right as I was getting on to an airplane to come join you, you were already out here in Europe, but as I was getting on a plane... I was flooded with uh, news pings on my phone and text messages from my good friends, uh, sending me articles, kind of keeping me updated as I was on the plane. I had Wi-Fi and it just broke my heart to hear what was going on uh, in Texas with the mass shooting um, in the school. Um, I, I don't know how to word it well. It just is, uh, I'm, I'm in shock. It breaks my heart. I can't believe this is still happening. I can't believe uh, that that people are able to access guns in this way. Um, But more than anything, I want to have a a fair conversation and look at all angles of this and to uh, just to express our deep sorrow and sadness. And our heart goes out to every family that was involved, every family that lost a child. Um, and every single person in that community that must be reeling. Um, the world is reeling with you. It's hurting with you and mourning with you. Our prayers are with you and our voices are with you. We have to make change.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a devastating day. You know, I, I began the day, um, I was actually in Italy at the time, celebrating Juno's one-year birthday, our, uh, your sister's, uh, daughter, my
0: granddaughter, and then I ended the day by hearing you about. You have to clarify that. Things. That makes it sound like you took Juno for her first birthday to Lake Como. No. Okay. All right. so right. I'll do that again. No, no, no. <laughs> just keep going. You were. This episode can still have joy. <laughs> you you were. Was, you were in Lake King. Como celebrating a wedding. Yes, I was there with my wife Kim
1: uh, at a wedding, and. We woke up and celebrated Juno Boogie, McManus Goss' first birthday. It was a beautiful day. We were so happy. Juno was Juno. And um, then, of course, by the end of the day, um, we heard about the massacre in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, how one uh, 18-year-old um, killed 21, perhaps 22 people, if you, I think, include his grandmother, um, and 19 children. And it was just devastating and, and heartbreaking. And I felt like I needed to, to say something even on that day. And so I posted a small story. And, you know, when you, when you uh, post something in a story, it has to be very concise. You can't deal with all the nuances and every issue involved. And, and, and then I just started seeing some of the responses. And then, of course, you um, came to me and said, we need to talk about this on the podcast. So we're going to talk about... Um, various factors around um, this cultural dilemma of violence that we are experiencing um, in our country. And uh, we're not going to pretend to have all the answers or to know how to fix all the problems, but we did feel like it would
0: be worth having a meaningful conversation about this. I think, you know, we were talking about it this morning at breakfast, and obviously we're, I think, nine hours ahead. Uh, of, of the team in LA and, and, and we've had, you know, now a day, a full 24 hours to kind of process this. And, and I don't really know if we have processed it fully. I don't know if there, that that's ever uh, even possible to process such senseless violence and such brutality um, in a situation in which feels, you know, it's in Evaldi, Texas. I, I, I could not think of a more forgettable place in my life. And we were walking through this little town this morning and we were comparing this small, tiny fishing town that we're in to this place in Texas going, you know, it's these, these, it's the anonymity of it all that I think makes it so uh, hit so close to home that it isn't New York or LA or Miami or Chicago. It's this small town that you would think would be filled with safety, right? That it's, it's, it's it's deep in South Texas with, a population of fifteen thousand people. You would you would never think that in a you know in a, in a small town in, in anywhere in the world that you would have such danger and such violence um, inside of a community that 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 I would imagine would be pretty tight knit, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it it breaks my heart. And and we were having this conversation this morning over breakfast, and we were talking, you know, how do we how do we how do we go after this? How do we have this conversation? How do we help people process and also um, bring, uh, motivate and inspire change? And, and I, I, you had sent me or I had sent you Steve Kerr's um, uh, speech after, after the shoot around for the Warriors called State. They do a press conference and he immediately addressed the fact that he will not be updating anyone on the Warriors Nothing has changed in the last six hours, he says. We're in Texas. We're 400 miles away from Vivaldi. And one of the worst shootings we've ever seen has happened. And he was irate. He was emotional. He was angered. He, uh, I think, was compassionate and filled with, you know, um, filled with a just anger, I would say. Um, And then, you know, the Internet, I think, took that and swept that up. And spread that it went viral. It's all over the world. I think it was important for him to say it, and it was important for him to, to to talk about that. There's more important things than just basketball. He's spoken on this before. His dad was actually killed. He was shot. He was the I think he was the president or the the, the provost the of the University of Beirut, like an international mm-hmm. university in Beirut. And so you know That's he right. has experienced firsthand what it's like to lose a family member at. To gun violence. Um, And I think he's kind of spoke for the world. Um, I saw both sides of it. I watched kind of conservatives respond. I've watched my friends who are international respond. I've watched, you know, my friends who were Democrats respond, and it's all different. And so uh, I think today would be a good day, Dad, to just dive into the differences of opinion, uh, how we can talk about gun control, how we can talk about uh, second Amendment, and go from there. Yeah. One of the things that struck me right away is no matter what someone says, someone else
1: tries to destroy it and make it seem extreme and irrational. And, and then at some points I'm a little confused, um, about the extreme positions that different people take along the way. And so maybe I'll just work from what is confusing and disturbing to me. Um, I mean, first, the whole arena of gun control. Um, you know, Steve Kerr, obviously, you know, was strongly advocating for gun control. And so immediately had a lot of people who were trying to find places where he was inconsistent, you know, and, um, and, and then I, I started seeing these um, posts from Christian leaders who were defending the Second Amendment. And, and of course, the really strong Christian statement, I, I can't even believe it. I'm saying this. It's not a Christian statement. It's a, it's a statement among so many Christian leaders as, guns don't pe- kill people. Guns don't kill people. People do. Well, I mean, obviously that's, that's true. And, but cars don't kill people. Drunk drivers do. And, it, it, you know, it, any, any act of violence or, that is connected to a human being, the human being is behind it. No one is saying that the gun is doing the killing, but that seems to be the catchphrase among Christians. And so, a part of my question is, um, I understand the Second Amendment gives us the right to bear arms as a nation. What I don't understand is when it became a biblical doctrine or a biblical principle, it seems to me that Christian leaders protect the right to bear arms as if it came out of the book of Exodus or uh, it, it came from the teachings of Jesus. And, and, and let me just be really clear. If you are... Um, a strong defender of the Second Amendment, that's your right. And certainly as an American, you can say, no, you know, this is what the amendment gives me a right to have, to bear arms. I, what I don't understand is when a Christian leader somehow integrates it as a, a spiritual issue and uh, that you should have the right to bear arms. I, I'm so confused about that, that doesn't even fully make sense to me. Now, I can understand a person being an American saying, uh, I believe we should bear arms because i i'm afraid that one day the government's going to turn against the citizens i i i i That makes more sense to me than someone saying uh as a Christian, you should protect the right to bear arms If anything, it seems like Jesus would have taken a very different position than um fighting for the right to bear arms but i don't even want to argue about that in this. Go ahead, Aaron. I can I tell do.
0: that hit you. I do. I want to argue about that. I would, love, I would love to break down white Jesus to white America who can't get rid of their guns. Um, because the, the Jesus that they're talking about is not the Jesus of the Bible. Let's, let's break down the Second Amendment. How about that? You want to start there? Sure. Second Amendment. Verse 2 of the Holy Constitution of uh, the United States of America. Because I often think that uh, the Republican wing, who I would say I've resonated with at times, follows the Constitution more than they follow the Bible. But we're not going to go too deep into that part. Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I
1: understand why it's there. And,
0: And by the way, I think the Constitution is brilliant. Um, but I don't think it's
1: infallible. I don't think the Constitution was written by God. And I don't think the Constitution should be treated as if it was somehow um, sacred in that sense. As the Constitution needs to be examined and re-examined, and, um, and perhaps interpreted and reinterpreted. Uh, it should be amended. That's why we have amendments. <laughs> and, uh, and because we learn over time. Now, what I do think is, is important is that it says that there should be a right to have a militia. And that we, there should not be the infringement of the citizenry to be armed.
0: Well, it says, it says a well-regulated militia. So I think it's obviously a reference to the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that the, 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 the phrase regulated, well-regulated, should be something that's highlighted in situations in which people cannot be well-regulated or held accountable by a militia, a well-regulated militia. So it's not just a singular person buying a gun. It's people being held accountable by the other people in their community who also own guns in situations like this uh, being necessary to the security of a free state. I don't know if our state is, is in, in the midst of uh, fighting for its freedom, but I do know that it's, it, it becomes a really touchy subject post-COVID and quarantine and where a lot of states really felt like their freedom was being infringed upon. I felt like my freedom was being infringed upon. Uh, but I'm also one of those people who would say, you need to have accountability if you are buying weapons. Yes. So can we break that first statement down? Yeah, no, I think this is a, a
1: fair point. One is that if our deepest concern is we want to make sure America always has a, a militia among its citizens in case the government does move toward corruption and dictatorial um, uh you know, um, government, but maybe that's should be a more official militia. Maybe citizens should actually be forced to be a part or be given the opportunity to be a part of a, of a militia just in case something like that ever happens. And I understand people who use guns for, for sport, for hunting. I understand people who use guns for lifestyle because they, they eat what they kill in the wild. I understand people who, um, have guns for protection in their home. I, I actually understand all of that. What I don't understand is filibustering legislation that's trying to create greater safeguards for who's buying a gun and the immediacy of buying a gun. I don't want someone to be able to get a gun the moment they decide they want one. I, I actually think that having a three to 10 day waiting period is an incredibly... Um, reasonable um safeguard what was that word in the second amendment a well regulated militia i think that that maybe that should be the focus how do you regulate if the if our citizens are a militia everyone has a gun if that's the way if that's the way we're interpreting it part of the regulation should be it should be really hard to get a gun it should be really hard to get one fast and people should have to go through a process to be able to carry a weapon that kills so readily. Uh, guns do not kill, people kill, but people use guns to kill. And so to ignore that reality is to be irresponsible. That's my perspective on this. And I know that I'm standing against all the Christian pastors that seem to be out there saying, we need to fight for the Second Amendment. And I'm going, The Second Amendment isn't what you're fighting for. I think the NRA has co-opted a lot of the Christian worldview. And what we think is actually biblical thinking is political thinking.
0: It's so sad. That's my perspective. Here's the thing, too, because I also I think think I've I've come off slightly caustic against the right wing. If you own a gun, I don't dislike you. And I was talking about this with you today, Dad. I, I feel a lot of people who own guns are actually really responsible people. I think, sadly, yes. I don't think Salvador Ramos has been adequately trained in gun safety and understanding the purpose behind owning a gun, of whether it's f- being a part of a free militia. What, what I mean by that is not this, like, I don't think go and join a militia. I go, I see that as accountability towards a desired outcome. If your desired outcome is to own a gun safely, to protect your family, to hunt, to, to even just have that right but you need to be accountable by people within a community, whether provided to you or or provided by you and held accountable also equally by our government. I think the issue right now is that you can buy a gun the same place you can buy children's toys or you can buy groceries at a Walmart, and that's disgusting to me. People like the Walmarts should actually go, the Walton family should go and help hold their own selves accountable and stop profiting on the, like, duplicitous nature of the the stores that they're putting in these these towns all over the world. It bothers me that you can buy a gun and also buy a child's toy in the same place. That is disgusting. It's shocking to me that um,
1: the very people who are so, um, I think, responsibly concerned for uh, the lives of the unborn seem to not have the same consciousness for um, creating a society where our children are safe to go to school. And I, I feel like sometimes we just get so, so pulled into the politicization of what is rational thinking. People can own guns. They can own them safely. They can own them responsibly. We don't have to limit those who use guns for sport. We don't have to limit those who use guns to protect their homes. Uh, we can create an environment, a culture, where it's very difficult to get a gun and so that someone like Salvador Ramos can't have access to that weapon. See, we're not talking here about even like, um, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. I mean, Salvador Ramos... I don't think was a career criminal. I don't think he had committed any crimes before that. I don't think you could have identified him as a person who was going to be violent. I think what we need to realize is that the people who go on these rampant rage-filled, violent acts of murder are not predictable. And you can see signs, you can see clues, you can look backwards retroactively and, and know that this, there was potential problems there, but we can't know who those people are and when they're going to act. And those are the people we as a society just go, we need to create laws that make it difficult for them to have access uh, to the kind of weapons that can kill two dozen people too easily.
0: I think we have to look at the rest of the world and how the rest of the world is operating in this regard. I think we have some of the, we obviously have the highest number of shootings in the entire world. More children are dying in our country by guns than they are anywhere else in the world. And that is, I think, something that has to warrant uh, a reaction and cause for us to change some things whether it's amending the laws. And I'm not saying change the constitution. What I am saying is update it. And while you're doing it, maybe change the national anthem because that song is whack. But I would prefer that we go and look at a few things that are inundated in our country's constitution and update them. Whether it's, and, and I think the, the biggest issue is like, we, I've never been hunting in my entire life. I almost went hunting one time. I was in Sweden. I was with a guy who loves to hunt. He says, do you want to come hunting with me? I said, it's really cold outside. He gave me like nine layers. I'm not kidding. So many layers. I looked like the Michelin man afterwards. We drove out an hour <laughs> and a half out into the country, which is insane because if we drove an hour and a half in LA, all I'd get to is Venice. And then we proceeded to go into this like bunker tree house and look for like boar or hunt for boar. And he starts walking. There was no boar. It was too windy. There was nothing. I didn't shoot anything. I looked through a scope. And I just froze and to the point where I was falling asleep and I look over and this guy's on Instagram saying, I think we should go home. It's cold out here. But we, he talked to me along the way about gun safety, about how to be safe, about how to interact with a firearm, to talk about how much training he's gotten and how much training he goes through each year. Because in Sweden, they do, they take such precautions to make sure one, you're mentally healthy. You're someone who can own a gun and should own a gun. And also, what is the purpose for you to own a gun? And it it, they create these amazing safeguards to keep people safe inside that country and keep the people who buy guns and the people who don't buy guns safe. I think we're a nation that has been great for so long. We have to start acknowledging that we have some weaknesses, and this is one of them. And I think it has to become, it has to stop being this fight between the left and the right. and We have to come to the dinner table, or we have to destroy both parties because this is in nature disgusting that we cannot put children above everything else. If this country cannot protect the future generations, we cannot protect this country. I agree. And so I want to summarize
1: my uh, left to right views. If I had the right opportunity, uh, I would go hunting. I think it'd be a really cool experience and uh, uh, I, I, I'm not really inclined to to, um, uh, to shoot anything even if it's a bird or a deer but I just think that the uh, there's something incredibly extraordinary about that uh, experience and especially when you're at someone who, where you actually eat um, what you kill. I think there's something um, uh, just really natural about that. And uh, secondly, I, I want I want to make sure people who hunt have their guns protected. I want people to be able to have the right to have guns in their homes, protect their homes. I I actually do think that there should be some cautiousness that you should never let a government be the only people who have the power to control. So I, I'm so cognizant of the positions on the right that make sense to me. Um, but I also think that Um, our government is being controlled by the NRA that they do not even want moderate or temperate regulations that um, would regulate who can access a gun. And I I think that we need to look at those uh, proposals and consider them seriously, because I do think we have a gun problem. It's not the only problem we have. We have a human problem, But we have a gun problem because it's too accessible to people who want to hurt other people.
0: So uh, you referenced uh documents, Dad, but we actually, I don't think we talked about that on air. We're talking about that before we got in here. Brooke, can you kind of lay down the foundation of what we're talking about?
2: There are two bills that have been brought. Um, they're ready to be put to a vote in the Senate. One of them, HR eight, is just asking for greater background check requirements. It's really to close a loophole that has popped up at gun shows, people buying guns at gun shows and not having to get proper background checks. Um, the one that is receiving the most attention is the Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2021. It was passed through the House already. Um, it can be put to a vote at any time, but the Senate is just scared that it's going to be killed on the floor because no Republican will vote for it to pass. That and this is an
1: enhanced... Background check of three to 10 days.
2: It, there was um, a law passed in 1993, I believe, called the, the Brady Law for background checks for guns. It only gave a three-day window for a background check to clear. If a background check doesn't come back in three days, even someone who legally should not be able to purchase a firearm can purchase the firearm because the background check didn't come back within three days. So what this bill is proposing is that someone would have to wait up to 10 days for a background check to come back.
0: This seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, it,
1: that's why we have to realize there has to be so much political leveraging and manipulation behind this because the bill just seems to be um, pretty reasonable, uh, at least from my perspective.
0: Maybe I'm missing something bigger. and But on top of Go ahead. Let's look at this. The situation logically, if I'm someone who's going to go and buy a gun and I can't wait 10 days, something is wrong in the situation. And if we're in a state where where we really think the government is going to take us under control, do you think the guy selling guns is going to make you wait 10 days? I, I imagine who will be passing it out. So it, it just, I think sometimes we, not we, but I do think sometimes people on the right can have an illusional or illogical view of reality and become almost so fearful. It's so interesting because they, we talk so much about like living without fear and being faithful people, but when it comes to like our government control and us having this access to weaponry, it just doesn't make sense to me. It feels like we don't live, we live a fearful life, not a faithful life. And not to be cheesy in any way, but I want to speak language that connects with them. Yeah, here's the thing. If you are a defender of the Second Amendment, and
1: you believe there should be no regulations on gun control, and you're a follower of Jesus, just don't confuse those as the same thing. Uh, Being a biblical person, and being a follower of Christ, and holding a biblical worldview has nothing to do with the second amendment. Now you have the right to adamantly fight for the second amendment. You have the right to adamantly fight for your right to bear arms. Just don't pretend that is an outgrowth of your relationship to Jesus. It's not. It's not um, an outgrowth of being Christ-like. It's not an outgrowth of a biblical worldview. And, uh, but it's your right to fight for that. Just don't act like it's what Christians should actually fight for. It's not the same thing. And um, and it's, but I want to move into a a quick shift. All right, so now we've we've been talking about gun control, but I also want to then get to the other side of it going. uh, When a person says guns don't kill people, people do. That's true. And the problem, I think, on the left is that the left acts like if you get rid of the guns, you get rid of the problem. And that's not true. And uh, the problem isn't simply that there's access to guns by the wrong people. The the, the, The deeper problem is that there's violence inside of the human soul that is seemingly unrestrainable in these people who are killing innocent people. And, and I, brought, I brought up the mental health issue, and someone got really upset with me saying there were mental health issues before the pandemic. Well, of course there were. I- again, um, in, in a two-minute story, I cannot give you the background of all the psychological trauma in, in American history. <laughs> the reality is that I'm really aware that there was mental illness before the pandemic. And then someone from New Zealand said, well, we have mental illness in New Zealand, but we don't have gun violence. Well, you cannot compare an island with 5 million people to the sociological complexity of this nation. It's just not, it's not apples and apples, it's apples and coconuts. And, and, so, and but I want you to realize, I understand that there were mental health issues before the pandemic, but I am saying this. That the pandemic and the way it was responded to with this year of isolation plus has exacerbated mental illness across the world. And one of the things that I've identified over decades, and I've talked about this, is that the more isolated people are, the more likely they are to move toward violence. The more people live in community and connectedness, the less likely they are to move to violence. And so you find these individuals like Salvador Ramos, and it doesn't surprise me that the environment around him was a perfect storm. He was fatherless. His mother struggled with drug abuse. He was living with his grandmother uh, because he didn't have parents. He had no family system that supported him. He had been bullied when he was in school. Um, He had been... um, Haunted and abused for quote being gay. And all of these dynamics are shaping this individual. Because the question isn't just how do we stop guns from getting into schools where these tragedies happen? How do we stop the Salvador Ramases from emerging in our society? And that dynamic, I think, has to be really addressed because. I did not know my father and it would be easy to go, Oh, that's what created that. Or, um, you know, when a person, you were bullied, but you've never made a decision. I was bullied and I never made a decision to act like this in violence. We need to realize that the same environments do not result in the same actions by individuals. This is a person who was on the line of such severe mental illness that they went over the line toward violence. And I don't know the whole backstory of their life and we will never know, but we need to realize that, that we need to uh, address the environmental causes
0: that are also creating this kind of violence in our nation. This is one of the hardest episodes I think we've ever had to do. I don't know it how is. to even still like while we're talking about it, I don't, I don't, I'm like at a loss, you know, I. I I was telling you about this, this morning, dad, and I'm not sure if I've told you about this growing up, but I, I went to a, a, you know, I went to a few different schools growing up. I got kicked out of a few different schools, but one of my first, I guess it would have been my second or third school in elementary school. Um, I, I went and started the third grade. And I remember this kid named Aaron introduced himself for the first time and said, Hey, what's your name? I said, Aaron, he says, I just want to know your name. Cause I think you're a faggot. And I, And I want you to know, no one here will ever be your friend. That was day one. Day two to day, I guess, 900, because I only lasted three years. Um, I was approached by a group of guys in in the third grade. I started in the third grade. And they said, hey, you know, we'll take you in. We'd love for you to be our friends. But you have to make a commitment with us. I'm like, this is very Goonies-esque. This feels kind of like Hook." I don't know, like, you know, maybe I'm making friends for the first, the first time outside of, I guess, the, my only world was church and your friends. So I had, you know, I had one other friend, Jordan Mendoza, who I grew up with, and, um, and, and he went to a different school. And they said the commitment is you have to agree to make a pact with the three, the three other guys that will, in 10 years time, will come back and kill every single person at the school. This is pre-Columbine. This is pre-mass school shootings. This kind of ideology and uh, mental health issue and, you know, honestly, like psychopathic behavior was happening at, you know, what was it, the age of seven in a a Christian school. And I remember going like, hey, like, uh, you know, I had this awkwardness because I'm like, I wanted to fit in so badly, but I had this, this ethical thing inside of me. I mean, I think it was, I genuinely think it was like the Holy Spirit And my parents just voices being like, that's not who you are. And I said, I I gratefully, graciously declined. And in my head, was like, get me out of this place because these (laughs) people are crazy and they're evil. And I think we got to hit the evil thing because I think there's something deeper there than just mental health, than just this, you know, what's going on in our school systems. But there's evil there inside of some people that are shrugging some really deep and dark things. And I remember saying, no, thank you. I could never do that. And I, and I moved along and we weren't friends ever again. Never talked to me ever again. And it preceded four years of me getting the crap kicked out of me pretty much every single day. And I remember at one point going, I now understand why the nerds wanted to hurt people. You know, they weren't even the nerds. They were cool kids. They just weren't the cool kids. And I remember being like, if this is happening at seven, if I didn't have my dad, if I didn't have my mom, I didn't have my sister, who was my best friend and have the people of my church and the people around me who really did love me. And, you know, they st- we still got in fights. We still had bad moments, but I had a support system genuinely that helped me understand that this that was wrong. That was wrong thinking and that was evil. Um, I couldn't imagine what these kids were going through. I can't imagine what Salvador Ramos is going through and I can't imagine now what the families. Of these victims are going through but this is something that is deeply ingrained and i think it's pre-video games i think it's pre-movies i think there's just something dark going on in our school systems and in our child's minds and i'm and i it makes me worried because i go like i don't have children but i definitely think through the lens of the goddaughter that i do have that Brooks' son milo who's seven feet tall and he's two and a half um through, through, through now you know my niece juno and going would I want them in a school Would I feel safe if they're in a school? Mm. When well, I am so sorry that all that happened to you, buddy. And it's fine um, now. I mean, therapy helped <laughs> therapy. No, but I, no. I, not to make yes. light of it, but I genuinely do believe that like I had the, the, the structure place around me to, 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 to identify that I wasn't doing well mentally and to help me make the changes I could do. Um, the, and to work on myself, right? The, the, the issue, I don't think, it, is it a mental health issue, Dad? Well, I think that um, that
1: is a part of it. And when people move towards severe isolation, um, they become unhealthy. And our society has fragmented to such a degree that there is no texture for community. Uh, you know, I mean, we've had, Social movements that had been violently against the nuclear family, acting as if having a mom and dad, or it was passe, it was a thing of the past. It should
0: you talking about Black Lives Matter movement,
1: the BLM movement, yeah. on their on their landing page was against yeah, in, the nuclear family. In their mask and we head, need to yeah. realize that you're not going. You, I'm telling you something. You can pass all the gun laws in the world and you keep destroying the nuclear family you keep destroying the emotional well-being of community and people will find a way to act out on their violence and because if we don't deal with this inner world issue it's going to be it's going to get darker and darker and darker and and i don't think it's an accident that these acts of violence are attacking innocence when there's an attack on children That's when, for me, the line becomes the line between mental health and well-being to evil because I am absolutely convinced that that evil attacks innocence and and that one of the things that – you see, I do think there is a personification of evil. I do think there is the manifestation of evil, and I think human beings can go from broken to sinful to evil. And when we act to destroy other human beings, that's an act of evil. And I know it's not a popular word. And by the way, the word evil was almost completely extricated from the American vernacular until 9-11. And 9-11, when President George Bush actually used this act of evil, all of America went, yes, a trite." It's amazing how conservatives and liberals in that moment understood The idea of evil again. And I think we're going to have to take a deep breath because this should be a moment where we're arrested in our souls and realize that Salvador Ramos in his brokenness became susceptible to a level of evil that is unimaginable. And his action wasn't just towards someone who hurt him or someone who might have um, wounded him or left him broken. Maybe he was violated at some point in his life, but his action wasn't toward a violator. His action was to destroy the lives and the lives of 19 innocent children. And when we see actions moving, and and frankly, it concerns me because I think across our nation, our children are vulnerable. It's as if we're having a war for our children. And, And the language right now I hear is like the parents are the enemies And the government institutions are the ones that should be taking care of our children. And what we need to realize is that as a parent, see, as a father, I I accepted personal responsibility for your life and Mariah's life. And I agree with the mindset. You and Mariah owed me nothing because you didn't choose to come into this world. I chose as a father to bring you into this world. I owed you everything. And I think parents need to take responsibility for their role as fathers and mothers. And I think we as families need to find a way to take responsibility for the mental health and development of our children. It's tough. It's hard
0: enough, even when you grow up with two parents in a a healthy home. Do you think that we focus too much on gun control and not enough on mental health? I think we focus too much on gun
1: control and not enough on the cultural values that um, make societies healthy, like mutual respect, like responsibility, like focusing on character, focusing on integrity, focusing on humility, and focusing on compassion. I think if we, honestly, if we spent less time trying to get our children to get their pronouns right and start helping our children learn how to be kind and compassionate and caring and loving, all that will work out. And the problem is that we are so agendaed that we're trying to convert children to whatever agenda we have rather than to build into them a healthy identity, self-esteem, a positive self-image, let them know they are they have value, that they're loved, that they have worth and that the, that a part of being a healthy human is to express kindness, compassion, acceptance, uh, gentleness, care for other people, and we need to get back to some of those uh, intentional values I think as a culture
2: I would love to know both of your thoughts on this this stance that owning guns is ideology that gun ownership defines you and that's why they're so necessary and why they they've now be- so become so ingrained in culture that they're that much difficult to extricate from people
1: that's a, a great question and Aaron, if you have a great answer i'd love for you to jump in for... <laughs> yeah
0: because liberals but don't no, fight actually... wars no liberals don't fight wars that's just the reality of it the reality is that it is it is those boys in texas and alabama and georgia and virginia and Virginia, I guess, would be a blue state, right? Um, but you have this middle of America. That there's, their kids go to war to protect their country. Those kids sign up. They do what they feel is, you know, because we grew up and go, you know, we might have a calling for God. They go, we have a calling for God and for our country. And it is ingrained in them that, and, 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 it, and I, I'm not knocking that. I had so much respect for every single person that enlists into the Army, into the Navy, the Air Force, into our armed forces. I, I pray for them. I really do. Uh, and I'm someone who does not want war ever, but it does not mean you have to not prepare for war and to be a country that is that is uh, that is wise. But the reality is these 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 amazing people that live a different lifestyle than we do in Los Angeles or New York City, you know, or in Miami or in Chicago, you you live a different life. Um, I was having a conversation with a guy I met here actually. He was saying he was from, you know, middle America and the, the their instructions from the police with how to deal with robberies and burglary is very different than what they deal with in the city. And they're like, look, if you're being robbed. You are the police. We trust you. It'll take us 30 minutes. When you call 911, you are on your own for 30 minutes to defend yourself. And they're like, I grew up in a farm town where, you know, farm equipment was millions of dollars. It was more expensive than our houses. And we knew if, if these guys came to rob us, it was us versus them. And I go, I think the mentality is very different. And I think so much of America is still living in that world. I'm not saying that's, that's the majority, but I'm saying there's the heart of the country is still in that space. So when people uh, address this from around the world, I think they don't realize they see the U.S. as L.A., New York, D.C., Chicago, Miami, what they see on television, what they see in the NBA, what they see in F1. They don't see really kind of the blood that's running through the heart of it. And it's a different culture and it's a different reality. And so I think for us to also in this podcast to like be understanding that the culture does come from people who are still living in this space. Right. Um, But that the world is changing and there needs to be some modification to create a healthier future. Because in their world, I think gun safety is natural. So you learn as a child, like how we learn to drive and how I learn how to use Apple Pay.
1: Uh, Aaron, that is a uh, brilliant answer, and, and frankly, when Brooke asked the, the question, um, I didn't have an answer, and uh, you were put in and a and precarious position. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, I think you're exactly right, um, Brooke. That, that that's a pretty good insight on American culture.
2: I would never have thought to tie it into um, enlistment.
1: Yeah, it, it. But he's right. It's it's because, frankly, conservatives are the ones who are more likely to go to war to uh, protect the nation, to consider uh, national uh, responsibility a part of their stewardship and culture. And, and I think that probably is a huge part of why we have the political divide on gun control. And it it. it it, it actually helps me understand you know, so much. It's like all these dominoes in my head are just sort of following in place because then so many of them are also the people who believe in the Bible, the people who believe in God, they're people who go to church um, and they're people who bear arms and they're the people who would defend the nation without
0: blinking an eye um, if, um, if they were asked to. In the same way that I think, you know, we would talk about this a lot, how uncomfortable we feel in certain religious, even Christian religious spaces, right? We, we don't, we don't use the same language as a lot of churches. We don't use the same language as a lot of Christians. Um, we feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, I, I go, sometimes I just wonder, are we even believing the same God? We're so different. I think that's the same way people who are ex-military, healthy gun owners look at guys like, or young men like Salvador Ramos, they go, they're not like us. They, they own a gun the same way that like a kid jumps in a car and, and tries to hurt people or crashes it. Like this irresponsibility, that's immaturity, that's mental health. They're going, this is a unique situation. The issue is that it becomes wildly po- politicized. Sorry, Brooke, go for it.
2: I had a follow-up question. I think that's a great point. Um, you talked about how covid and quarantine has impacted mental health. Mm-hmm. And my question is, COVID's impact on freedom being stripped from people with yeah. vaccine mandates, with quarantine, how do you feel like COVID taking away f- freedoms from people has played into people clinging more tightly to this freedom that they have to own a gun?
1: I think it has exacerbated the conviction that we need our guns. Mm-hmm. To protect us from our government, because mm-hmm. our government, in a blink of an eye, will take our rights away from us if they think it's for the good of the whole mm-hmm. and and frankly, the other day I was listening to Dr. fauci talk about how the c d c should should not be under the purview of the courts and how it would be um, inappropriate for the courts to have any authority or any say over um, the CDC's decision about quarantines or whatever else it is. And and I was kind of astonished listening to this going, that's the kind of mindset that creates totalitarian governments.
2: Mm -hmm. Or that creates a a resistant government people.
1: Yes, and so if you're already hyper-vigilant, if you're already really concerned that um, your rights are gonna be taken away, Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the quarantine, the 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 forced um, vaccines. Uh, and, you know, now they're, even with, I just saw they just came out with vaccines for children. They're saying that efficacy for infants is 35% and for children up to 12 is only 50%. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going, they're going to try to impose that on parents and, and tell them that the kids can't go to school unless they're vaccinated. And And I think all of these things add to the, the cultural paranoia that says, I'm not giving up my gun. I don't trust that the government's not going to tell me tomorrow I can't go to church or mm-hmm. I can't do this or I have to do this. And so um, I, I think democracy is, is fragile. It's an experiment that has rarely worked in human history.
2: So would you say the gun is sort of seen as the only way they can fight back from having their rights taken away?
0: No, I don't think it's the only way. I think I think I think pro life, pro choice is the other one. And I think Explain those that. those what would you say? Explain
2: you, it. Yeah, can you expand on that?
0: Dad, <laughs> help.
1: <laughs> well, I, it just can seems like almost like a flip side, though, because like when um, when then the conservative right would say um, we're pro life. they want the government to tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's like the flip on that. I don't want the government to tell me to get a vaccine, but I want the government to tell me that it's illegal to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Now, I am so pro-life. I ooze a love for life. And I, I, I'm not confused that inside of a woman's womb is a human being. Like that for me is so infinitely clear. And, but I, I do think it's a flip. Then on one side, we want to use the government to force people to make decisions. And then on the other side, we want to make sure the government can't tell us what to do. And I think sometimes both conservatives and liberals aren't sure what they want a government to have power uh, to implement or not. And here's the danger. Liberals want the government to do what liberals believe and force conservatives to do it. And conservatives want the government to Force Americans to do it, conservatives believe and force mm-hmm. the liberals to do it, and uh, both sides are in great danger of creating an environment for the end of democracy
2: now what 's fascinating is that federal legislation has become almost gridlocked and immovable and non-existent, and all of the rights conversations and all like life affecting legislation is being pushed into the states so what do you think the future of our country is going to look like when where you, where you live determines how you live more and more starkly?
1: I do not believe that the federal government should be the uh, epicenter of power. I, I think the closer power comes to the people, the better. And um, as much as I've hated uh, Uh, I don't hate him as a human being, but I hate him as a, as an administrator. I have hated Garcetti's role as mayor of Los Angeles. And I have not been a fan at all of Gavin Newsom in California. Um, I would rather have a mayor and a governor have more power in my local life than a president. Mm -hmm. Because I can vote out that mayor in my city. I can, I can vote for a new mayor. I can vote for a new governor. And, uh, and uh and so i actually am a person that says even if i'm losing like in california it's the democrats control everything in california so if you're a republican you're kind of always losing if you're a libertarian you're pretty much always losing but i would rather
0: have all you have to do is rick caruso did is switch to being a democrat and then (laughs) run for mayor
1: and then and then hopefully win right what i'm saying is i still would like the power to be as close to the people and as as far away from the central government as humanly possible. That that's No one's asking me maybe for my political
0: you know, ideology, but that's my political ideology. I'm asking. I think it's the way this country was meant to be. Would you agree or disagree, Brooke?
2: I think it definitely is more representative of the people who live in those states, that their state laws would reflect what they actually want. The concern is that every person can't just move when local legislation changes. And- California has abortion-friendly laws. They have the highest, like highest gun control laws in the country, but no one can afford to live here. So what is that, what does that do for the people who value those things the most? You know, there's always going to be some compromise, no matter where you live in this country. What should be the defining factor for each person? Or is that up for each person to choose?
1: Yeah, I think the reality, Brooke, is that um, what you just described as people trapped inside of a state that they can't move, afford to move out of, if you move it to a national level, then people are trapped inside of a nation they can't move out of. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, or you go, or you go just, microscopic. Will we ever get yeah. to a place where we will be able to decide our own like legislation or our own laws and rules based on our own individual beliefs? Like, will we be able to walk into doctor's office and go my city my id says that i'm this person and i believe in this and i can have this thing happen or i don't have to do this whatever becomes so individualistic versus i guess corporately or nationally federally governed
2: that sounds like pure anarchy
0: (laughs) i
1: think that um I want to go back to our,
0: our main conversation today. Um, Wait, be- before we go back there, can we address a, a thing I saw on Instagram about this? Okay, sure. I don't know. This guy is friends of a friend, but he posted this. I think he's French. Um, he posted the news article with 19 dead and shooting at Texas primary school. And he said this, he added this commentary. The U.S. should fix their own issues before they try to fix the rest of the world's problems. Not entirely he sure is what French? he means, but I think he's French. Which, well,
1: first of all, if we okay. took that posture, he would be writing that tweet in German. And so I, I would rethink that arrogance. And because as imperfect as the United States is, let, let, let me just like, you know, just some basic things. No one is at the borders of China trying to get into China illegally. No one is at the borders of Russia trying to get into Russia illegally. But people are at U.S. borders begging to get in. As problematic, even on this horrible uh, tragic moment in american history the united states of america is still the preferred choice for most immigrants and who have an opportunity to begin again i am an immigrant to the united states and i am so grateful that i get to live in the united states of america even with the ridiculously absurd tax structure of california i am grateful i get to live in los angeles and and that i had to, the opportunity to create the life that I get to live, I would not have had that opportunity in El Salvador, I, and people do not have it all over the world. And so, when people start saying America should fix its own problem before it starts fixing the problems of the world, are you saying you don't want us to help Ukraine? I mean, is that what you're saying? Are you saying that we should just callously uh, disregard what's happening uh, in in um, in Europe, and and if Russia decides to invade the rest of Europe, should we just Fix our own problems. See, I I think the reality is that uh, maybe, you know, the United States isn't doing it all right, and certainly they're not. And I I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be helping Ukraine. Maybe that's what you're saying. Um, But I don't want us to wait till we fix all our problems to help other nations and help other people. Because otherwise we'll become the most self-indulgent nation in the world. Um, I hope we always care about other people and other nations um, and that we try to do all the good we can. Uh, certainly, there is a lot of things that the United States will have to answer for historically, that have been um, wrong choices, unethical choices, and um, uh, choices that were economic and uh, and not moral. Um, certainly, uh, the United States is not without um, not decisions false. to answer for. Yeah, uh, and yet, and yet. Without the United States, the balance of power in the world um, would uh, be unhinged. If the United States did not exist... The world would be speaking Russian and Chinese right now. I do not believe that there would be any world freedom. No. And so in its imperfection, the United States is the singular force in the world that allows nations who cannot defend themselves to remain free. And so it may be in response to the same question of, you know America should fix its problems before it tries to fix the world. Uh, I'm an imperfect human, but I'm still gonna try to make a contribution to the world. I am so glad that people do not wait till they have their entire act together before they try to help someone else in the world. That framework is the most passive and apathetic mindset a human being can actually take on. No, imperfect nations should still try to do good. Imperfect people should still try to do good. And even with this situation that really prompted our conversation today, we don't have all the right answers. We don't know what will solve the problems. What we do know is we have problems that must be solved. And, you know, Aaron, you were saying, they were gonna press me to, what do we need to do? (laughs) which is always a challenge because I like focusing on what do we need to think. Uh, But this is a moment where um, I'm okay saying, what what, what do we need to do? I, I think that we need to press for more restrictive legislation on the accessibility of getting a gun permit and getting a gun. I don't think we should restrict healthy people from having a gun, I don't think we should restrict people from having a weapon to protect their home. Um, I don't think we should restrict people having guns for hunting and sports, but I do believe we need to create a better system to keep guns out of the hands of people who are emotionally unhealthy, who are um, inclined toward violence, um, or have been victimized and now they want to retaliate. We need to find a way to keep guns out of the hands of those who can commit heinous acts of violence like we have experienced this week.
0: Obviously, this is such a complicated matter, but with, this, I think, such a simple start to a solution, background checks, restrict AR-15s, should not have automatic rifles, should not have cartridges more than the, the allotted. I think California has a really great base for it the, with a cool-down period of, I think, 10 days before you can actually purchase a gun. You can receive a gun from when you purchase it. There should be mental health checkups. There should be psych evaluations. There should be accountability established from within the gun community and within your own community. There should be massive, massive, massive fines if you disrupt that. And we need
1: intentional, permanent protection of our schools where people cannot just randomly walk onto a elementary school campus and begin to open fire? When are we going to learn that our schools are not safe? This shouldn't be a surprise to us. We should not be shocked that someone tried to do this. We should be shocked that we still haven't created the protection
0: necessary to keep America's children safe. I think we need to talk about bullying in school systems. And then we need to talk about what is the school system in the what is the school system in the United States. I think we need to talk about the men who bullied the men and women. I imagine who bullied Salvador Ramos, who created uh, a killer, and they should be held accountable as well for the actions that uh, that caused the situation. Um, not everyone was as lucky as me or as lucky as so many people out there to have a structure with a family structure and, a, and, a, and an amazing family like core. Um, who believed in Jesus, uh, who protected me from myself at times um, and from others and to help me get help. This kid did not act alone. He was conditioned. He was attacked. He was berated. And that's not okay. And I'm not defending him, but I am saying it, it, we have to get to a point where, where school has to become safe from the inside, not just the outside. A gunman should not be able to walk on campus but someone who terrorizes someone every single day should not be able to exist on a campus either.
1: Yeah. We know our children are not safe from violence. The question I want to ask is, are we grooming
0: our children for violence without even realizing it? This is one of the heaviest episodes we've ever done, but I want to thank every single person who is tuning in today, listening and watching. Usually this is the part where I ask you to write and rate and review the podcast. Um, But today, that doesn't matter. I want you to call senators. I want you to help us create active change to prevent this from ever happening ever again. However you feel about guns, people who are irresponsible should be prevented from buying guns. And we have to help make that happen.
1: A lot of conservatives are going to be really angry with us.
2: You really didn't. You Honestly, neither of you went as hard as I thought you could have. Or you might have.
1: Except Aaron told everybody to call their senator and
2: pass the
0: law, right? And yeah. I agree. So
2: like, That's great.
0: So something we did not talk about. There are 50 senators, 50 senators who are preventing this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Those men, should they, we should be calling them day and night. They should not be able to sit at a restaurant, fly a plane, walk in a park, drive their car without someone riding on a window peacefully saying, you need to make a decision.
2: I saw a tweet that said that, like, referenced how quickly the the Senate passed bills to protect Supreme Court justices when people brought cardboard to Kavanaugh's house. Like, cardboard passed legislation, and guns can't pass anything.
0: Thank you for listening to the Bad Ready podcast. I love you guys so much, and we're so grateful. We're looking forward to being back in our amazing country. Or maybe I'm just going to move to Spain. Talk to you guys next week. Have
1: a great week.